Welcome to the Slacktivist Action Group. I'll be honest, I'm scared, ladies and gentlemen. Scared that 52% of my country might actually agree with Nigel Farage. People have been saying, oh, wow, won't it be funny if Boris Johnson becomes Prime Minister? It'd be funny if it wasn't our country. (laughs) If it was France, it would be hilarious, wouldn't it? The love child of Asterix and Obelix. (laughs) Boris Johnson was there saying, oh, it's our Independence Day. And I don't think anybody would have objected to our Independence Day if Boris Johnson himself had been the one to selflessly volunteer crashing his plane into the alien spaceship. (laughs) This man has lied to us about the NHS, about Turkey, about EU banana regulations, and he's had loads of different affairs, all of which he has lied about. This man would sell his own granny. But more than that, he would then lie that he sold his granny. He would then find somebody else and pretend she was his granny. And he would then look at her and think, oh, she doesn't look bad for an older lady, and try and shag her. (laughs) If he does become Prime Minister, I would suggest what we do, we get a zip wire from number 10 Downing Street. We run it all the way to Buckingham Palace... And when he has to go and get sworn in by the Queen, we send him down that zip wire, down the mall, only like last time we make sure he gets stuck halfway along. But unlike last time, this time we don't let him down. We keep him suspended above London, David Blaine style, and we can then all go and chuck wonky EU bananas at him. Michael Gove said, people have had enough of experts. We need experts. We need people who know shit. Imagine Antiques Roadshow without experts. <laughs> so you've had this Ming vase in your family for generations. What do I think it's worth? Two quid. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> if you look at the contenders for the next Prime Minister, you despair, don't you? And the thing is now... If you do despair, you can't leave Britain and go and live in fucking Europe. (laughs) Let's face it, it's been an emotional week, isn't it? Who would have thought that the England football team would remain longer in Europe than the country itself? (laughs) So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to introduce our guests. Now... As you may be aware, there is some shenanigans going on with the Labour Party at the moment, and Dan Hodges was supposed to be here reporting for us on what was going on in the Labour Party. Sadly, he's now reporting for the Mail on Sunday, what is happening for that, so he is going to be unable to make it tonight. So we are looking for one member of the audience to come up and sit in this seat and be Dan Hodges tonight. Would anybody like to volunteer to be Dan Hodges tonight? Doesn't have to be a man, can be absolutely anybody. We've got two volunteers going up here, that's super. We'll have a little Dan Hodges off, if that's okay, (laughs) to find out which one may be more suitable to be Dan Hodges tonight. Do you want to just shout your name out, sir? Jaden. Jaden, we've got Jaden down here, and we've got... 
Ryan. Ryan, that's brilliant. Let's just go for a simple question, one that I believe was quite heavily Googled last week <laughs> on Friday. We're going to go for what is the EU? <laughs> so, Ryan... Your answer to what is the EU, then we go to Jaden for his answer. Whoever's given us the best answer will be Dan Hodges tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Ryan, over to you first. The joint nations of European countries to deal with uh, sales and economy. <laughs> OK, that's the American answer. Jaden, over to you. Uh, it's a joint political party made by members of each European state. OK. And how many, do you think, how many countries are part of it? 28, 7, 27, Good, 28. good. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome up to the stage Dan Hodges for this evening. It is going to be Jaden. OK. We have some brilliant guests for you tonight. Please welcome to the stage David Davis MP, stand-up Zoe Lyons, and from the Mail on Sunday, Dan Hodges, ladies and gentlemen. Dan, you've changed. <laughs> yeah, it's plastic surgery these days. It really worked. It works out really well. On the NHS. Yeah. So... Normally with the Slacktivist Action Group, what we like to do is talk about one thing that we're a bit slack about that we would like to be better at just to, to get ourselves in the mood for the Slacktivist Action Group. So, Zoe, if we, we start with you, what are you, would you, in the ideal world, would you like to be better at? It's, um, this is absolutely true, but it's very, very fitting this week. I would like to be better at learning languages. And <laughs> I think this is, this is bang on cue. I've had a Rosetta Stone French course on my computer for three years. <laughs> Never even looked at it. <laughs> it has never been over. I wanted to learn French, and I've got a Dutch wife, and I've never learnt Dutch, and I've always so I've um, I've let myself down on many many levels. But then she'll probably have to go home now anyway, won't she? So I'll have to we, we will pack come her on to, up, send that home. We will come on to that very shortly. So Dan, over to you, and probably many things you're quite slack about. Dan, timekeeping possibly being one of them. Any, any other ones that you're quite slack about? Um. um Slack on writing for the newspaper, I guess. Yeah, very, very good answer, Dan. <laughs> Playing the role particularly well. And David, what about you? What, what would you like well, to offer to the group? I'm going to stay with a theme in that case. Uh, given what's happened this week, I want to be good at forgetting languages. <laughs> oh, controversial. <laughs> London audience not what sure what to make of that, are they? <laughs> I myself will offer to the group, I, I'd like to be better at lists. As a, you know, when you've got a lot to do, you think, oh I'll, I'll, oh, I'll write a list. And the thing about writing a list is you actually think you've done something then, don't you? You think you can, you can actually have a little rest. But even better than, obviously, than, than writing the list is crossing something off the list. Oh, you know you've done something then, don't you? You know, you think, oh, I'll make myself a cup of tea. Now, the secret, of course, is to write, make tea on the list. <laughs> so let's move straight on to, to the big pressing issue, Brexit David, I went on Twitter to see whether you were gloating on Twitter at all, and your last entry on Twitter was uh, June the 14th. So the big question is, have you been in hiding with George Osborne? That's what we would, we would like to know. I've been in hiding with Dan Hodges. <laughs> no, no, no. I, the June 14th because I've been working ever since, persuading people to leave. It worked, didn't it? Yeah. Um, so, no, no. <laughs> OK. Well, let, let's talk about what's happened today. Obviously, yeah. immigration, the sort of perda came in, four weeks, pretty much hammering the immigration 
note home, it seemed to pick up a certain amount of traction with the, the electorate. Then we've had Boris Johnson today in The Telegraph saying that we're going to remain part of the single market, so which will obviously mean free movement of people to this country. So the idea is we're going to, we're going to somehow, we're going to leave the EU, stay in the single market. Oh, aren't those foreigners terrible? But there'll be just as many now we've won because we're staying in the single market. And they'll also be coming from Turkey when they join as well. What, what are you fussing about? This is politics. You don't want consistency as well, do you? <laughs> It's funny until it's real, isn't it? No, that, that is true, that is true. I mean, look, I mean, what, what's going to happen? I mean, there's going to be a negotiation, it's going to take two, three years, uh, and uh, uh, at the end of it, uh, we will hopefully have a deal with them on the terms we want, but, you know, it's going to be three years away. I think we'll, we'll get managed migration. There won't be no immigration. You have to be an idiot to think you have no immigration. Um, and I'm not talking about Boris there. And, you know, we'll have an arrangement whereby we can sell to them and they can sell to us. They want to sell to us as much as we want to sell to them. So uh, it's a strong position to negotiate from. Which is, but we don't want to trigger it straight away because we're not sure exactly whether we can get it all done in two years. But they're not going to do any negotiating until we trigger it. Nobody actually knows. I mean, that's the... Boris has said two conflicting things in one newspaper article. He apparently had two possibilities of which way he was going to go before he decided that he was going to be part of Leave. He still appears to be looking at both of those two letters that he could have written and taking bits from both of them. Well, he's been attending your, your uh, comedy show and doing the two-list thing, isn't he, really? <laughs> he obviously copied you, you know. Well, but... he, he is, but I'm not standing to be Prime Minister of the country. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, you're going to get a matching set with Trump, you know, two blondes. I mean, what are you worrying about? Is that... <laughs> what is there to worry about? I am trying to provoke your audience. Well, no, it, it's an interesting tactic so early on. But, but let, let's talk. I mean, people do feel genuinely let down about the promises. The, the, yeah. the idea that the NHS was going to be 350 million, they were saying, oh, well, why don't we spend what we spend per week? Uh, on the EU, why don't we spend it on the NHS? Now, that has been described by various formidable Leave people as, I quote them, wrong, a mistake, or an aspiration. (laughs) Now, if it turns out to only be an aspiration, I would like to see that written on the bus, this was only an aspiration, and driven round the country in a Boris Johnson apology tour. Well, when you used the word wrong, you were quoting me, I think. (laughs) (laughs) It was a daft number. I mean, the number's 200 million a week, so why do you you put in 350 million? I have no idea why they did that. No idea. So, uh, <laughs> Dan, hello, Dan. <laughs> Dan, Dan you, you, you speak, speak for the people, I can there tell that. <laughs> Never has the Mail on Sunday nailed it quite so well, there ladies and gentlemen. That's your headline. <laughs> Obviously, there were lies on both sides. Yeah. I mean, David Cameron said he promised us that if there was a vote leave, he would stay as long as he could, and then as soon as there's a vote leave, he left straight away. <laughs> even, even when he, he was pissing off, he couldn't even tell the truth, could he? So... <laughs> Do you have some sympathy for him or listen, as a man listen, who, who, listen. who defeated you in the leadership election? Count, count, count yourself lucky he was lying. He promised you World War III today. You know? You know, come on. You know. Well, there, there was that threat. I mean, yeah. it, there, was, there was a bit on both sides, wasn't there, yeah. as, to, as to what... But the Turkey thing particularly got people wound up, this idea that Turkey was going to be joining the EU. There's no way that, that Turkey's joining, is it? There's 35 policy areas that they apparently have to talk to the EU about. So far, they've agreed one, one out of 35, in 10 years of talking. Now, 
Katie Price has a polo horse. It would be like saying she's joining the aristocracy. (laughs) (laughs) When you were asked and in the lead-up, you had these things... Did you not feel that there could have been more genuine talking from the Leave side? Oh, I think there could have been more genuine talking from both sides. I mean, take Turkey. Turkey's quite a good example. On the one hand, David Cameron said, well, I will veto Turkey forever. If you actually look at what he said six weeks ago in the European Union, it was Britain supports Turkey's rapid accession. You know? So on the one hand, you had him doing that, and on the other hand, you're quite right, Leave were, were saying, oh, they're going to join tomorrow, which they weren't. They never were. I'm afraid one of, the, one of the characteristics of this campaign has been... <laughs> Somebody out there... You, Dan, it's your, it's your sister. <laughs> so you can sense from some members of the audience yeah. that people are trying to find ways of maybe not having to go through with this and people are being accused of being sore losers. But obviously Nigel Farage himself, before... The thing said, well, if it's 52-48, there could easily be a second referendum. So, in fact, he was a sore loser before he won. Well, well he, was, he, he, was, he was actually a loser before he won, if you remember, because he conceded at, ten, at one minute past ten. That's right. Remember that? And then he unconceded, and then he reconceded, and then he, he unconceded well, again. Well, he's, he's got history on this, hasn't he? Because he, he, he resigned, didn't he, after the election, and then three days later he was back <laughs> as the leader. Yeah. I was looking forward to him resigning a second time, because let's face it, even Jesus hasn't made it back for a second time. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tactic I was hoping to use for the Cameron leadership election, but it didn't work. You know? <laughs> best of three, best of three, we can do this. Obviously, the referendum, there, there's yeah. now this petition. We at the Slacktivist Action Group, we quite like a petition, don't we? So up to three million at the moment, there is some allegations of fraud on just the petition. A, just a few. Well, I was thinking if it gets up to 17 million, then they've got to at least take it seriously, <laughs> although they may be taking the fraud even more seriously at that point. 17 million, 400,001, it's got to be. So if we, if we can get you to, to, to look into your crystal ball, David... Yeah. The, um, in terms of how, how do you see it progressing? Does it very much depend on who becomes the leader of the Conservative Party? Um, what, when Boris is elected? Yeah, um, it, uh, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, well, the, I, looked, I looked at the odds today, just before you came on, yeah. and uh, we have Boris and Theresa, supposedly the two front runners. Hmm. but your name is there at 40 to 1, is David. It? Yeah, just after Jacob Rees-Mogg. All right. So... <laughs> but, well, but can you give us the inside line? What, what, what is likely to happen? Well, I mean, firstly, I don't think Theresa will win um, because she's a, re- she's a Remainer and it's yeah. very unlikely that the Tory party in the country will actually elect a Remainer. They're going to elect somebody who, who believes in the, in the Leave project, if you like. Um, and frankly, it doesn't really make much difference which one of them wins. There'll be about six months of preparing the negotiation before we start. That involves going to see the Scottish Parliament, the Welsh Parliament, Welsh Assembly, Northern Ireland Assembly, getting all those sorted out, talking to the CBI, talking to all what you might call the stakeholders, the TUC, uh, working out what their fears and concerns are, uh, then drafting the, um, the negotiating document, at the same time going around Europe talking to all the others. So that's, the, that's how it'll start, and I reckon it will take the full two years to get the deal because, I mean, I used to negotiate in Europe. I used to do that, as it were, as my job uh, 20 years ago, and nothing ever concludes before the last 10 seconds, you know? The negotiation goes rambles on and rambles on and rambles on, and on the last, in those days... Uh, not now, but in those days, the last day, the Spaniards had been silent 
for, you know, 12 months of negotiation would say, you know, sort of 10 to 12 when the negotiation is about to start, start, uh, finish, say, oh, uh, we have one issue, you know. And, and they say, what's that? It says, our fishing quota. Can you increase it? And then you get no deal until you increase the Spanish fishing quota. Something like that will happen. So it'll run on for two years. Uh, and I think at the end of it, we will get a, a reasonable deal uh, with good access, good, good access to, uh, to European markets uh, and controlled access on immigration, but not, not, uh, not open-ended access as we have now. And the, the biggest argument, I suspect, will be about whether we pay them anything, because I don't think we'll want to. And so is your feeling that we will be part of the single market is it, or is your feeling that we will <coughs> not a, like Norway or you think? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the sort of arguments are just, just for your audience a second. You've got the single market, um, uh, which involves uh, free access, uh, free movement of peoples, um, which is the Norwegian model. You've got a variant of it, which is the Swiss model, which is loads and loads and loads of treaties, loads and loads of bilateral treaties. And they, they in theory, signed up with free movement of peoples as well, but they've just had a referendum a little while ago, a few months ago, which their people have said, no, we don't want that anymore. So that was, that's a sort of non-free movement model, and we'll be probably nearer to the Swiss model. But basically, yeah, we'll get access. We'll get access to the single market, and, uh, and we'll uh, be able to control our migration numbers. That's as simple as that, right? So we, we'll wait to see. Well, what about you, Zoe? You, you, you were saying that you were married to a, a Dutch lady. Mm-hmm. How has it been for you? Have, did you decide to vote leave just to spice up your relationship yeah. at all? <laughs> I explained it to her. I went, look, love, I've just got to up my chances up. Um, <laughs> I'm very, very... <laughs> I'm not sort of putting a block on my borders. Um, so, um... <laughs> we, of course... Say borderless relationships? Borders, yeah, borders of mine. I mean, I, I, I was... Obviously, I remain, and I, um, I, I, for four days, I've had a really weird feeling in the pit of my stomach that I can't get rid of. Um, I, you know, all for democracy, and it was a fair vote. I just hate all of the silt that it has stirred up unnecessarily because of a lot of the language that's been yeah. used very dangerously and loosely throughout the whole thing. I think that just hearing people. I agree. And Boris is no... I mean, he's no idiot. He's a buffoon, but he's absolutely no idiot. I mean, his first, um, his first ambition, apparently, as a boy was to become king of the world, and I think he has been... He, that's, that's what he's quoted as saying, at age 10, king of the world, and he's clearly kind of driven uh, in that, and he's been using language... The disappointment was, though, that he was actually born in America, so he is eligible to become United States of America yeah. president, isn't he? He's also he? So, very, very loosely connected to European block, monarchy, so... He's, he's, he's blue blood very far down the line as well, but he's used very loose languages in places that he knows where immigration is an issue and people are worried about it, but for various reasons. And this, this constant talk of getting our country back, getting our country back, getting our country back, you know, you can now say, well, I was talking about trade agreements, etc., but in other people's minds, that's been going, yeah, getting our fucking country back. And it started a whole... Well, the, I mean, you just think, back to where... Where? Well, I mean, the 90s, if you want to look at the currency, it's clearly back in the, in, you know, it's back there. Even the 80s, it's dropped so fucking far off the planet. Um, where, I don't know where we want to go back to. Pre-war, post-war, Viking, Romans. I'm not entirely, I'm not entirely sure. Um, so I'm, re- I'm really 
angry with the, the language that's been used. The interesting thing about the pound, though, isn't it, is that the pound has slipped so far now, down to, what, 1985 mm. levels, so it's going to make it much more expensive for us to go to Europe yeah. and much cheaper for Europeans to come over to Britain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether the Leave campaign are going to make it compulsory for everybody in this country to spend at least one holiday in Cornwall a year now <laughs> to reinvest in our own country, because that needs to happen. I just find it odd that the working-class people of this country have chosen Boris Johnson as their... As their He's a maverick. I mean... He's a maverick. He's, he's a, man a maverick. He's a man who's called his he's own... He's for a cause. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. He's, he's the most disconnected... I mean, if they, felt, if they felt removed and disconnected from the people who are already in Parliament, then choosing Boris... <laughs> he's a man who's called his own children Theodore Apollo, for Christ's sakes. I mean... <laughs> He wouldn't know an Aldi if it came up and smacked him in the face. It's just, he's so removed from the public, I guess. It, well, it was, there were some interesting arguments on immigration, wasn't there? There was one uh, prominent Leave campaigner was suggesting that what we should do is stop the, uh, the, the free movement of people from Europe so as we could get more immigration from the rest of the world mm. so as we could get better curry chefs coming to this country. It's a very specific argument, isn't it? We want less immigration for more immigration. Normally, we don't want people coming in from Bangladesh, but if they're going to make us a curry, well, that's absolutely fine, then, that is. I just... I I mean, I I don't... I've I've heard horrible stories the last few days of people having horrible things shouted at them in the street. Was it Dutch people who who live in Brighton? Yes, get your clogs on them. Um, (laughs) Never like your cheese. It's tasteless and plasticky. Um... (laughs) I wonder if, you know, because there is definitely a section of that leave vote, not all of them, but there is a, there is a slice of that leave vote that are now using this as a result, as, a, as an excuse to be openly racist towards people. I, just, I wonder if they're aware that Boris and uh, Farage's wife are both uh, um, non-British yeah. and that, you know, we have to bring in immigrants to do jobs well, in this country not, that no not... English woman will be prepared to do. But Nigel Farage, you know, if you wanted to some silver lining to what's happened, obviously he's an MEP. He's going to get sacked. He's, he get won't sacked. have a job in two years' time. <laughs> and the big boys aren't allowing him to play. They're not allowed to play a game either, rather they sort of nudging him out. He'll no, be he'll not be, in the playground. No, no he'll be in no. the background well, with a pint of warm ale. Talk, talking of such things, obviously, the UK Independence Party. It looks quite possible that we're going to have UK independence. That then Scotland's going to leave, Northern Ireland leave, quite possibly London is going yes. to leave, and yeah. Brighton. Yeah. <laughs> the Republic of Brighton. So, that's, that's why I was late here tonight. Passport control coming out of Brighton. <laughs> Strict controls now. Do you eat quinoa? No. <laughs> but, but we're taking back control, um, but then, you know, giving it away to... to what, do you, what do you make of this? Is the United Kingdom going to stay together, David? Yes, of course it is. I mean, the... Of course the, it is? Of course it is. Look, look, I mean, take Scotland as, a, as, a, as a, the real example. Since the Scottish independence uh, referendum, uh, the oil price has dropped through the floor. So they are now being subsidised to the tune of approximately £12 billion a year. Now, the Scots are many things, but they're not stupid. They're not actually going to vote to have a country which is bankrupt on day one. Well, you you say that, but then the idea was that people wouldn't vote for Brexit because the pound was going to crash, right? And basically the shares were going to go so low and we'd all be impoverished. But we voted for that. So there's every chance the Scots would decide to vote against the oil. But it was the Prime Minister saying that, you know. Nobody believed that. Well, no, the, the, the anti-establishment uh, vote, but then to, uh, the idea that you see Michael Gove and Boris Johnson as not part of the establishment is <laughs> fucking ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Here's no. a weird thought. Nicola Sturgeon for Prime Minister. What? 
so what, Scotland leave, and yeah. then we vote to leave with Scotland, just... so as we can remain together. <laughs> we thought, all thought... move up to Scotland. Oh, I see. We all, yeah, we just tuck inside, nip and tuck, and just leave Wales like that. It's going to be like... <laughs> It's going to be... they've all gone. <laughs> it's going to be like 28 days later, just zombies in London. <laughs> Nigel Farage wandering round after a heavy night going, what's happened? What's happened? <laughs> so maybe this is a good time to come and talk about what's happening with the Labour Party, Dan. <laughs> so... <laughs> so, Dan, just briefly, if you, if you can, as I understand it, the... Uh, Two-thirds of the Shadow Cabinet have, have resigned today. Obviously, it's quite momentous. I know you've been following it very closely. <laughs> Not necessarily from this venue, I understand. Um, but uh, what do you, do you make of it, uh, Dan? Uh, so, yeah, my resources tell me that um, 12 Shadow Cabinets have uh, been sacked and left. A uh, bit of a mix. Oh, I can't really remember. But... No, no, that's, that's absolutely fine. <coughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's been day. a very confusing day. You're right. Yeah, it's a very uh, confusing week. Yeah, but the, interestingly enough, uh, Jeremy Corbyn appointed some new people this morning, yeah, and we were uh, all quite looking forward to them resigning this afternoon as well. <laughs> um, a- any news on that? Uh, he's brought some fresh young faces to um, <laughs> to the party. And that's sort excited of... you, has it, Dan? Uh, yeah, I think, well, yeah, fresh young faces. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's the sort of what politics needs. It needs a bit of young, vibrant life, because you look in the, well, you look in Parliament, and you just think, oh, Fucking hell. <laughs> really? Is there any hope for the UK? There was, there was, there was, a, there was a young lady who was, a, uh, who was elected to Tutti today to take over Sadiq Khan, yeah? And she, she arrived in. She did all the sort of flummery of coming in and, uh, and uh, um, taking the oath. And as she walked up and shook hands with the speaker, somebody said, keep your mobile phone on, dear. You'll be in the shadow cabinet by tonight. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, obviously, you know, there is, uh, there's some talk at the moment about buyer's remorse and the idea that we need to, you know, have a bit of time and then people, some people might come round to the idea that this isn't what they were hoping Sorry, for. Sorry, are we on the EU or Jeremy Corbyn? <laughs> um, well, well, either way, would you, would you like, given that we both parties uh, are quite possibly going to be leaderless very shortly, would you like to uh, offer your thoughts on, on the, Her Majesty's opposition? There well, isn't one. <laughs> but, you know, obviously, in some ways, at the moment, the, from the Conservative point of view, uh, a, a weak Labour Party is very good news. No, it's a terrible idea. No, 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 no. no I mean, a, a government's only as good as its opposition. If you've got a crap opposition, or, or actually... But in moment, some ways, this government has got strong opposition. It just comes from its own party. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps me in work. <laughs> but, no, I mean, it, it, it is terrible. And the, uh, the, the problem is, I mean, the, the, the Labour Party, when Ed Miliband left, you know, he, he did the equivalent of giving them what he thought was a sedative injection. It turned out to be a carcinogen. I mean, the, the, the change of rules on the election of the Labour leader means that he can be elected virtually with no support on his own benches, just out in the country, not there. It means they can't get rid of him. Yeah. And if they do get rid of him, or they, what they're trying to do today, then he'll come straight back again, like like some zombie from the grave. You know, so so that's terrible. I mean, it really is awful. And you know, I, I, I there are many times when I'm arguing with the government over issues we might talk about later. Um, you know, I, I need a strong opposition to be able to, to to be able to support my argument. I mean, when we when we defeated the government on the uh, plan to bomb Syria back in 2013. 
Cameron's previous greatest problem. Um, uh, the, you know, we needed 50 Tory rebels, all the Lib Dems, and, and all the Labour Party. And without all of those, we couldn't have stopped it, you know. And hundreds of people would be dead today. Uh, who are not? Uh, who are not? So, so you need a strong opposition. Sorry, I'm being very serious, but you no, do no, that, need a that, strong that's opposition. That's absolutely fine. Talking of serious things, you you are also with Tom Watson. You are um, in the European Court of Justice, which we may or may not be leaving within two years. You are obviously data retention is a big thing. There was a new act through Parliament, investigatory powers, and you were saying that there weren't enough safeguards, you didn't mind bulk retention Hmm. of emails and phone calls and what have you, but you wanted it to go through a judge rather than just be a police officer going, can I have this stuff, and them going yes. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the the, the Data Retention Act, uh, which was passed a couple of years ago, um, allows uh, your phone records, which are kept by the company, to be accessed by any policeman if he's given approval by another policeman. And this happens 550,000 times a year, you know. And the idea was, well, actually, you know, it should be somebody independent to, to make the decision, not, not, not somebody, just another copper. And so uh, I, I and the deputy leader of the Labour Party, this is an interesting combination, um, decided to sue the government. And we won in the uh, High Court and the Act was struck down. Uh, and then the government, this very Eurosceptic government, appealed to the European Court of Justice to try and win. <laughs> And uh, so uh, we're going to get a decision in the next couple of weeks. So it's basically you and Top Watson against 15 governments. Yeah. So, and, and if, you, if you pull that off, that'll be a, a pretty impressive thing. But they're also talking about you as the chief negotiator in our Brexit talks. Are they? So they are. <laughs> Your name has been mentioned, obviously, because you said before that you've done some negotiating in Europe. It's going to be a weird thing where if you were the chief negotiator for the government, at the same time taking the government to the European Court of Justice, which you will then be negotiating not to be a Supreme Court anymore. Well, now you know. That's why it's going to take two years. So I get my court case through first, then I'll negotiate afterwards. <laughs> and what do you think of Spanish fishing quotas? That's what we want to know, <laughs> So, obviously, there was a split in the country, David. You've got a Yorkshire constituency and, you know, you, you spend a lot of time in London. There was also an old person divide with a, with a younger person divide. And, this and a rich on, and poor, too. Right. Uh, and but educated in, in, and... In terms so. of the, you know, this idea of two years negotiation, whether we should have a second referendum or not, obviously, if we do hold out, and there is talk that after the general election there might be grounds for another referendum, obviously a few old people will have died between now <laughs> and the next referendum. <laughs> is, is that any cause for hope? And what, what... No, but then, but, then, but then you'll be a year older, so you might vote differently. Well, that, that's in, entirely true. But you can you imagine young people being a bit pissed off. We, at the last selective election, we, we were trying to encourage people, if they weren't actually going to register to vote or actually to vote, just to make a noise outside an old person's house so as they were too frightened on polling day to go and vote themselves. <laughs> but sadly, these young people are too well-behaved these days, aren't they? Well, too, some of them didn't get out to vote at all. I mean, no. bear in mind, if the proportion of young people voting had uh, been the same as the proportion of old people voting, it might have been a different result completely. But how do we heal the country, David? What, what's, what's going to bring us together? Well, I mean, for a start, we deal with the, the, um, the, the frankly, the pond life um, who have uh, been raising the racism issues and so on. I mean, the, the, the truth is every country's got a very small group of such people and we have to slap that down. And we have to make sure 
that we're generous about things. I mean, for example, I mean, there are people who, who are from Europe who are worried about not being able to stay here. That's ridiculous. You know, we should say, you know, you're here, you've got indefinitely to remain, you know, and, and we hope you're going to become British citizens. And so do all of that. But take on some of the fears, deal with them. A lot of this, and again, I'm sorry to be serious and a, and a subject you've been listening to for four months, but, the, uh, but the, uh, a lot of this has risen because of the hyperbole. And people have become frightened and have believed some of the stories. As time goes through, as the next few months pass, people will start to realise that some of these things are completely fictional and that the ones that are not can be dealt with. And most particularly the ones about community, the ones about making sure people who are, who are here are welcome, making sure that they, that they feel they're a part of the British community too. There, there was, I mean, obviously a lot of worry about criminals coming in from Europe, but then obviously voting leave, there was... Seems to be, uh, you know, we've also got quite a few British criminals living in the Costa del Sol. A fair chance that some of them are now going to be returning. It would have been quite an interesting slogan for Remain, wouldn't it? Vote Remain, keep British criminals in Spain. So... I'm glad you weren't on the other side, you know. <laughs> we might just have lost, you know. <laughs> You've been working, let's, let's move this on, to, uh, to Impetus. You've been working mm. for a charity, Zoe, down in Brighton. Yeah. Um, which are basically, it's, they have a neighbourhood care scheme, the idea that you can go out and do tasks for your neighbours to help people, particularly the elderly. And yeah. you, you've signed up for that and it's been, been an uplifting experience. Honestly. Yeah, I did a charity gig for them about a year ago and I was just so struck at how, what a simple, simple idea it was and what the most basic form of volunteering that you could possibly do. You know, do you have a spare hour a week? Yeah, I do. And so I signed up and they, they match you up with a local sort of older vulnerable person in the area or somebody who's housebound, etc. And I now visit a, an older gentleman every week, just for an hour, an hour and a half, we have a cup of tea and a chat. Uh, he's 94, he's housebound, but he's completely, you know, he's, he's all there. And um, he, uh, he is a bit of a racist, which is a bit of a problem. But um, other than that... <laughs> Um, did, did yeah, and he's housebound. I just keep thinking, you're 94 and you're housebound. They're not going to get in. But we have, we quite, we have, we talk about the EU and we talk about all sorts of things. I mean, he's uh, a, which he's way a did he pr- vote? He's a real proper hardcore lever. <laughs> yeah, I was drinking my tea like that last week. <laughs> all the vulnerable people they've asked me up with. Because um, you're supposed to take them out for a little trip in the wheelchair. I know, wheelchair you? off the. But on polling. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we are on polling day, yeah. you weren't available for any tricks. I'm going to take you up the Brighton I360. <laughs> Not a euphemism. Um, <laughs> but it is such a simple thing to do. And, you know, and we disagree on loads of things, but we also agree on lots of things. And we, we've become friends, which I think is really important. And I think, actually... It, I, I don't know about the rest of you, but I've been feeling really discombobulated in my in my in, my, in myself over the last four days. And we read a lot online, and you get a lot of we get a lot of our comments and judgments online. And and I just really really think that now is the time to talk properly to each other face to face, and just reach out and tiny little acts of kindness to each other too, because it's those little things. So let, let's uh, echo that. If you want to, to get involved with something over over the next few weeks, then. Uh... Age UK run all of those things. If you're down in Brighton, then impetus to the neighbourhood care scheme. But if you put it into a search engine and uh, put in uh, Age UK, they will tell you all of the different groups that work in your area around the country. So that that would be a great thing to do. Then if we do have a second referendum, you're right there with the old people. (laughs) You've rolled your way in. So we 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 will check who votes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, those pens! Don't give them the pens. That's what it was. 
We, 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 we're going to have to keep our questions very brief just while you're getting prepared. I will tell you who's going to be on the Selectivist Action Group next month. It's the last Monday of the month. It'll be here in the Soho Theatre, July the 25th. We have Andrew Mitchell, MP. We also have Liz Hutchins from the Friends of the Earth. And we have stand-up actor and Emmy Award-winning director Chris Addison. So uh, also looking to having Dan Hodges back next month as well. <laughs> so looking forward to that as well. If people who are listening on the podcast, if they've got any questions, anything they want answered, anything at all, just get in contact with me via the website, andyparsons.co.uk. I can also help you with what is the EU if you wanted to know what that is as well. So let's go for our questions now. Um, let's have hands up and try and keep them as short as possible. I've got one at the back there. Lovely. So you gentlemen, sir, if you could just ask us, tell us your name and then ask us your short question. Uh, John. Yeah. Hello, John. Yeah. David Davis, um, why do you assume that the EU will hold together? Not all of it necessarily will. Uh, the, inside the EU, n- nearly every country that came in other than the Nordic countries had a terrible prior history. Germany, dictatorship defeat. Italy, dictatorship defeat. France, defeat. Um, when Spain came in, it was after Franco. When Portugal came in, it was after Catano. When the Greeks came in, it was after colonels. When all Eastern Europeans came in, it was after the Soviet Union, the, the, their domination. And for them, the European Union is absolutely the symbol of modernity and democracy. So that's why the Greeks, no matter, you know, they, the Greeks were treated really, really terribly by the, Euro, by the European Union. Um, and the result of it was 25% of their economy destroyed and uh, 60% unemployment with the youngsters, higher death, higher infant mortality rates, collapsing public services, all those things. They still voted to stay in. And that's because what went before was the colonels. They don't want to go back to something like that. So for all those countries, I don't think any amount of pressure and stress will lead them to leave. Because you know, we came in with 150 years of liberal democracy before we came in. The ones which are at risk from the European Union's point of view will be places like Sweden, Denmark, Holland, uh, Finland, which had a historic liberal democracy tradition. And they, 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 they don't fear their own history. Um, now, actually, what I hope happens is that the European Commission... The, essentially the government of the, of the Union, starts to be more responsive to individual countries' concerns. I mean, one of the, one of the problems here... I mean, I was Europe Minister 20 years ago, um, and 20 years ago I would have voted the other side. In fact, 10 years ago I would have voted the other side. But ever since it's got tougher and tougher and, and countries get overruled more and more often. And I think if, they, if they're sensible, they'll learn and not put so much pressure on individual countries to do things they don't want to do. They do that, no one will leave. If they don't do that, then I think there's a chance that Denmark and maybe Sweden will leave. It, it so, won't break. So if they change destroy, like destroy that, David, should yeah. we then try and rejoin at that point? No, no, <laughs> no. We, would, we would probably form another organisation, <laughs> the Leavers Club, you know. <laughs> OK, so let's have, let's have one more question. Who else, who else have we got here? Hi. Um, just a general question. I'm probably part of the 48% mourning or grieving post-Thursday but I think I'm also grieving because it, I think I've lost this idea of what being British is and what my idea of what it was. I mean, post-referendum, whatever happens, how do we go about building an acceptable and sort of humanist idea of what our national identity is? 
OK, well, let's, uh, let's start off with you, Zoe. What would you... I, th- I think when we had the Olympics, I don't know about you, but that opening ceremony, which was just a huge, stimulating display of everything that was British, I, I stood there and cried watching it. I really did. I, you know, and I... I, I'm like yourself. I was, I was heartbroken on Thursday, and I felt heartbroken. I felt upset. And I felt hurt. But I genuinely believe we'll be all right. I really, really do, because there are enough decent people who, make, who want to make it all right. And they are Remainers and they are Leavers. There are enough decent British people who know what it is to, for great, what it really means to be great Britain, not this ridiculous idea of, you know, some uber man ab- across every, ab- above everybody else, but it's our spirit and it's our generosity and um, our forward thinkingness. You know, we, we, we can do it and we will do it. I really, really genuinely believe we'll be okay, but we need to reach out and talk to each other properly. Yeah. Over to you, David. The first thing to say is I'm not a believer in British exceptionalism. All right? um, uh, the, you know, the Americans going for American exceptionalism, it's wonderful to be American. I don't actually believe that. Um, I, I believe that you know, being what being British is about is a whole series of quiet virtues. Um, tolerance, kindness, you know, uh, open-mindedness, uh, and so on. So that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is we have absolutely going through our sort of institutional DNA um, a whole series of things which we've been lucky enough to have handed down to us. Free speech, um, uh, our system of law, which is probably one of the best in the world. It always amazes me that Russian oligarchs come and have their fights in the royal courts of justice because that's the way they'll get a, a, a fair outcome. Um, those sorts of things bundled together. Now, one of the characteristics of Britain is we're almost unconscious of all these things. We don't think about it. Mostly we don't brag about it. Um, Mostly we don't go on about it and and try and imply that other people don't have uh, equally good systems, the Swedes or the the, the ones I was just talking about, the the, the Danes and so on, or the Dutch. Um, I have to say the Dutch. Um, so, So being British isn't about a brand is about what we are and how, and how we get on with each other. The lady was right about, uh, uh, about pride, you know? Um, uh, and just an amusing, uh, not amusing, but, a, but a, an interesting uh, measure of that, I rang up the chairman of the uh, Foreign Affairs Select Committee on Saturday. I wanted to talk to him about the outcome of the, of the referendum, and he's a Conservative MP. And guess where he was? He was at, he was at Pride. With the chief whip of the Tory party, you know. So, you know, that's, and we don't notice that. We don't care, we don't, we don't sort of make a big deal of it. And that's the, that's the other big thing about it. We just don't make a big deal. Lovely. We're going to have a quick comment from Dan, and then we'll just go to the lady in the audience there for a last question. Dan, what's your view on the best thing about Britain? Is it the way people participate in the community at short notice? Is that the best thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd also say it's the, uh, it's the irony of England as well, because, England as a nation, we live by the phrase, uh, keep calm and carry on, yet we always have that excuse to just be annoyed or depressed or pissed <laughs> off. I mean, even if we were to remain in, there'd still be the Remainers that are just genuinely annoyed and depressed with their life. It could be raining, we could have remained, but it would still have been just as bad as leaving in Brexit, you know. I knew there was a reason I didn't UK, buy the mail on Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. Is that what your okay, hamster thought? Okay, so we've got the lady for a very quick question and then we need to wrap up. Um, I was just really interested because you were talking about what makes us British. Um, I really like to think that British people are honest and I've been incredibly disappointed by both sides 
about how dishonest they've been. Yeah, coming from Dan Hood. <laughs> and I, I really want to ask you, you know, you started at the beginning, you're laughing and you're saying, you know, we're this, we're that, and, and um, we're not going to be able to do this, and we're not going to be able to do this, and it's not, not 350,000. How does that make us as British? Are we honest? Aren't we honest? What are our politicians? Are they honest? Aren't they honest? That's my question. Are politicians honest? Short answer. No. No. <laughs> the, um, look, look. The, well, I mean, it's not, it's, it's not, that's not a British characteristic. It's a characteristic of, of, of political contests. I'm afraid people do exaggerate. You know. okay. No, no, of course it's not okay. Of course it's not okay. You should have been there for the rows that some of us had early on in these campaigns. And they were quite fierce. Um, 350 million being the first of them. You know. yeah. uh, so, no, of course it's not okay. In fact, I mean, just to be practical about it, it's not even very sensible politics. No. You know, because actually a, a, a real argument, a serious argument... I mean, we were talking before we came on about the debate in 1975 when they had a previous referendum. And I recommend you go online and find the debate between Roy Jenkins and Tony Benn. Uh, chaired by David Dimbleby, was still alive then. And it was a fabulous debate. It was courteous, it was thoughtful, it was well-argued, and it was factual, right? Uh, And that's what I hoped this debate would be. Bluntly, it wasn't. And why is that bad politics? Well, it's bad politics because this battle, uh, amongst other things, is a battle of credibility, you know, you're, you know, you want the person to agree with you, and in order to agree with you, they've got to believe you. You know, so if you start out on the one hand with 350 million, or on the other hand with a 4,000 pounds a family worse off if you if you vote that way, they're, they're both wrong. They're both wrong, and so you can be quite sure that quite a few of us were quite cross on both sides with with our with our leadership. But there we are. You know, I think the British people saw through it. That's, that's the other thing. They, I think they did. We're going to have to leave it there. We will no doubt revisit it in 2018 uh, when we're still <laughs> thinking of triggering Article 50. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, obviously, uh, for those people who are listening on the podcast, then uh, please, if you could subscribe, that would be fabulous. It helps keep the podcast free. So we'll just wait for a little tick while people who are listening on the podcast subscribe. But it's only one click, so that should have been plenty of time for them. Please spread the word about the Slacktivist Action Group. They say that if a a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, then we are lethal, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) So thank you again. I think we've learned quite a lot today. We've obviously learned an awful lot from Dan Hodges from the Mail on Sunday. So a special round of applause for Dan. And give the round of applause. Thank you very much for Zoe coming up from Brighton. Good luck in spreading the love. Make sure that you go and help some old people for the next referendum. And thank, ladies and gentlemen, and honest talking politicians for coming to talk to us, David Davis, ladies and gentlemen. Good luck. <laughs>